when you have a chance, just open up the Word of God to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to speak a couple of minutes about that. It's important that we as a church start understanding uh, the place where we're at right now. Um, I'm going to speak as a father today. Is that all right? I'm going to say it again because some of you didn't hear me. I'm going to speak as a father today. Is it okay? That means I might beat you up a bit. And remember the days when you were, you know, if you didn't do well, either mom or dad. This thing about uh, the going to uh, the, your corner, I, that, that's not the way. I wasn't raised that way. The timeout now, yeah. Now it's timeout before. Uh, there was no timeout. There was action, lots of action. Quick, severe action. And then questions came later. Yeah, I knew the belt. It was uh, my friend. It was. My mom didn't use the chancleta too much. She used the belt. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that they did then today would borderline on child abuse. But I'm still alive. And, and one of the things that one thing one of the things that I challenge today's society. And you just can't go with everything people say because sometimes it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me when a 14-year-old is mouthing off at an adult in public. It doesn't make sense to me when our children think it's okay to to scream at a cop. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I don't want to advocate, you know, against or for police officers. Let's just say it's necessary to have law and order. Because what's the flip side? It's anarchy. Anybody does what they want. I remember in the 70s, there was a blackout. I was in a church on 110th Street and 3rd Avenue, and suddenly there was a blackout. A blackout means in inner, inner city that the ability of policing almost comes to a stop, a standstill. Literally within three minutes, when I went outside of the building, people were breaking into stores. They were using their cars to ram into the jewelry stores. I remember the, the store Malabe, Malabe on 116th Street. It was a furniture store way back. Yeah, some of you who know Spanish Harlem in the 70s. I mean, they cleaned Malabe out. The owner was outside crying because he lost it all. That happens within a minute. Humanity, if it's not protected by law, we go crazy. So we need protection. We need law. We need order. Um, The very people that have the wisdom and the understanding to create airplanes and to uh, make beautiful buildings are the very people that go crazy when there's no law. Even with law, they're always trying to find a way to be able to get around it. It's called loopholes. All right? So we need law. It's just, you know, and community needs law. Wherever you're at, and and we demand law, by the way. We're very demanding. If something happens in our community, we immediately go to to the the assembly, the council's uh, Thing we chambers we'll make meetings we'll go down to Gracie Hall we'll go down to downtown and we'll come together with a, a group and uh, bring our placards our signs we demand this we demand this right hello anybody <laughs> I know I've been involved with a bunch of them I was there not so long ago advocating for the homeless and and I was with a, a whole group I didn't have to oversee it so I just enjoyed the process I was just there they say we demand this I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the point is, I was there. I was, we do that. We love law because we know it's necessary, right? How many of you have been in buildings uh, where the landlord didn't give you heat? heat or rather, excuse me, heat. Anybody here? 
landlords who didn't give heat. They are good landlords. They are good landlords. I'm not criticizing those. But for the bad landlords who don't give heat, who don't you know, fix the apartments, what do the residents do? They get what you call a tenant association together, and they do what? Yes. Yeah, but it's a lot more. They don't pay the rent. They get a lawyer. Uh, they go on TV, Channel 7. They'll go ahead, help me, Howard, right? They'll do what it takes so that the owner has to abide by the? Law. The law. Thank God for law. It helps us to live together. And in communities, the same thing. We need law. And in churches, we need law. We need order. If Without that, we'd, it'd be chaos. It'd be sloppy agape. It's just a term I learned in the 80s. It, it sounds good. <laughs> sloppy. Sometimes we're too sloppy in our walk with God. You know, uh, God's a God of order. The first law in heaven is order. And you, you have to have order in the house of God. Otherwise, people go crazy. They do whatever they want. You know, um, when God first created the heavens and the earth, he put the, the, the earth in a particular place, the sun in a particular place. If the sun were to be any closer, we'd all fry. If the sun were too far, we'd all freeze. There's, there's an order, a beautiful symbiotic order in the heavens. Isn't that true? So God's a God of order. He understands it. But also God's a very demanding God. And in the Old Testament, he demanded that the Ark of the Covenant, which signified his presence, which was holy, 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 be handled in a certain specific order, in a specific way. One guy forgot that order, and the people carrying the Ark uh, just, you know, suddenly, you know, when you're, you're, you're carrying furniture, and suddenly the furniture goes, oh, no, no, no. Well, that's what happened with the guys that were carrying the Ark. And it went like that. So a guy named, I think it was Yuza or Uzziah, one of the two. Yuza, Yuza. So he, he grabbed onto the ark so that it won't fall. He fell dead right there. He fell dead right there. The presence of God smote him right there. Bam, on the spot. He broke the divine order. And in the New Testament, same thing. So you say, oh, no, but that was Old Testament. Excuse me. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira were lying in the house of God, and, and they were lying to, to the apostles, and they both fell dead right in the house of God. So don't play with God. God is a God of order. He's very demanding, but he's also very merciful. And when you got, you got judgment and mercy, they kiss. That's Almighty God. He's the perfect father. He's, he's the, the perfect leader. See, so he knows. The thing about us is that we don't know people's intents, but God does. You can't fool God. So we go before God, and, and we have to go in humility and reverence because, you know, and that bothers me too, that we say, well, who does God think he is? Uh, he's God. In this earth, we recognize authority. When we have foreign dignity, dignitaries that come, we will give them the royal carpet treatment, don't we? Because they, they're worthy of it because they, they could be a prime minister, they could be a president, they could be a king. We respect them. Even if we don't like them, we still respect them because that is the protocol. Isn't that true? Yeah. How do we protocol the presence of God? He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, the lord of all creation. See, we have to come before God with reverence. And in the house of God, there has to be a divine order. There has to be love. Love has to be manifest. Grace has to be manifest. But order also has to be manifest. And I appreciate the fact that uh, another church has come here, and they are meeting with us. Uh, rather, they meet at, uh, what is it, 3.30 they start? And we immediately told them, this is the protocol of this particular house. 
They did a couple of things which are small in nature, and what we did is we don't do it that way here. This is the way we do it here. So if, if you can, follow that pattern. We already have a pattern here. And they say, oh, beautiful, no problem. And right now they're flowing with us. It's, it's smooth, and I appreciate that. I remember I went to uh, one church in Brooklyn, actually Dr. Bernard's uh, church. From time to time I go just to sit and enjoy. I, I talk to him, and we'll go, go to the office and just share and and sometimes I ask them some, some advice. And interesting experience that happened to me. I'm sitting down, and I always bring my bag with me. I always have water. I love my water. And so in the middle of the service, uh, during the break of worship, put it right back. Right? Just quick, real quick. I, I want to respect the house of God. I'm not there. This is not my local church. I don't know the rules and regulations. So I went, put it back. Elderly lady right next to me. The elderly lady said, we don't do things like that in this house. I, yeah, Delma, Delma, 40 years from now. So, so I, 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 I didn't know how to respond to that. So I looked at her for a moment, and I didn't know how to respond. So I, I just said, thank you. Thank you for your advice. Uh, you know, I get dry mouth sometimes, so I like to have a little water. And, but I won't do it again. Thank you. She says, one like that. Fine. So we went through the service, everything finished. So I went upstairs, sat down with Dr. Bernard and chatted. But in the midst of it, when I went upstairs, she's there. So I look at her, and I says, and then Dr. Bernard goes away, he says, hi, how are you? He says, this is my mom. <laughs> oh, man. That was good. So listen, I learned that day. I learned. I'm so grateful that I was humble, because otherwise, this senior lady would have tore me apart. She would have told Dr. Renard how bad I was. So, listen, we have to flow with patterns. They're normal to us. They're, they're, they're needed. They're necessary. So, with that in mind, let's all stand. Let's read the book of Acts, chapter 6, first couple of verses. Because we need to understand this, because we're coming into a very interesting season. We have come through a season of construction, of renovation, of restoration. We have come through a season of almost like self-assessing as a leadership, as a church family. We're in a new region. I mean, we're here three years now, but we've really been hitting it hard this last two years. People are starting to get to know us, but the Spirit of God has been made, he's made it very clear. This place is going to multiply over and over and over again. But to have that happen, when the word of the Lord comes forth, you have to partner with the word of God. If you don't partner with the word of God, it won't happen. Same thing as if God gives you a seed and you don't plant it, it will never grow and multiply. God does his part, now we do our part. Understand? So let's go to the book of Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read a couple of things. Then we're going to go back and forth because I want to share with you some principles out of this. I'm going to read from the New Life Version. And then I'm going to read from the New King James Version. So new life first. In those days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, what days? Well, the days that the Christians were starting to grow, the church was starting to grow. They had gone uh, from that experience in the upper room where 150 people were at, and the Spirit of God came upon them. Yeah, and then Peter preached, and then about 3,000 souls came to Christ. See, so we had already had 3,000 people. It was a brand new church. There were no principles. There were no policies, no manuals to follow. This thing happened very quickly. 
And these uh, small group of leaders who also were amazed at what God was doing uh, didn't have much of a chance to learn how to break the 200 barrier. You know, pastors, we take courses how to break the 200 barrier. In other words, how to have a church of 200 members. Because anything, out, anything over 30 has dynamics that will always bring it back to 30. It's a single cell organism. When you go more than 30, now you go to 50, 60, 70, 80, that's a double or triple cell organism. And it will always try to bring you back because the comfort you had at 30, you no longer have it at 70. The comfort you had at 70, you no longer have it at 100. So there has to be a continual reformulation of your leadership, your structure, the working together, the understanding of protocol of, of different departments. By the time you get to 200, that was on purpose. You can't have a 200 church, 200 member church that lasts, I'm saying. You could get 200 people. Remember 9-11? The church is packed out, but very soon they whittled back to where they were originally. That's what normally happens. You buy a brand new car, it normally starts breaking down little by little. The paint starts chipping away. Uh, the, the, uh, the elements inside start eroding. The parts start breaking down, right? That is very normal and indigenous to, to structures, to organizations, to businesses. You have to continually work it to keep it at 200 and to continue to grow it. In this community, they were in the process of getting groups of people coming in all at a time. By Acts chapter 5, there was already over 5,000 members of the church. And you see Acts chapter 4, they were continually coming together in their homes, studying, breaking bread together, eating together, doing community together, right? Following the apostles' doctrine, doctrine. So they were also learning from the apostles, right? So by Acts chapter 6, look what starts happening. In those days, the group of followers were getting larger. Greek-speaking Jews in the group com complained against the Jews living in the country around Jerusalem. The Greek-speaking Jews said that their women, whose husbands have died, or widows, were not taken care of when the food was given out each day. Which means that food was being given out each day. Which means that there were people cooking every day. Which means that different kitchens were being utilized. Right? Another thing that most people just glean right over, gloss right over, is that it said there were Jewish uh, widows, and they spoke what? Hebrew. Then there were Greek widows, which means they spoke Greek, which means they were already a multinational organization. So that means you needed a bilingual approach, or maybe even more, trilingual. Maybe there were people that were speaking Aramaic at that time. You see, you had the Koine Greek, you had the Aramaic, you had the Hebrew. So you needed people that knew what in the world they were doing. So the apostles were continuously training, and they were all over the place. Remember the Old Testament, Moses? He had to lead a, a church of over 2.5 million people. And he was constantly, you know, overwhelmed. And Jethro told him, you know, what you're doing is wrong. You, you're, you're so wrong. You need to raise up 70 leaders that can help you with this process, right? All right, so let's continue reading. <clears throat> so the 12, the 12 apostles, the missionaries, called the meeting to the many followers and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to hand out food. Brothers, choose from among you seven men who are respected and who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will have them take care of this work. Then we will use all our time to pray and teach the word of God. All these words pleased them. And they chose Stephen, who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. 
They also chose Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, who had become a Jew. He was a proselyte. These men were taken to the missionaries or the apostles. After praying, the missionaries laid their hands on them. Praise God. And the Bible says, verse 7, the word of God spread further. The group of followers became much larger in Jerusalem. Many of the religious leaders believed in the faith of the Christians. You may be seated in God's presence. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you, dear Holy Spirit, for directing us. Dear Holy Spirit, you who are the teacher par excellence, I pray, Lord God, that you would direct our steps, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might see what you are sharing with us in this day, in this season, my God. We'll give you the glory for it. Amen. So, in those days, they were growing. And I parallel it to where we're at now. No, we don't have 3,000 people yet, but we have to understand some of the challenges that this particular group was going through because they were going through issues of communication. It's not new. Any church you go through, you're going to have, or rather go to, you're going to have issues of communication. You're going to have issues where you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand maybe the culture of a specific person. Another thing that happens that, I don't know, I don't know how to address it sometimes, and this is the issue of what people call cliques. Anybody heard that term? We don't like the cliques in the church. You know, I, I have a problem with that only in that it's human nature for human beings to be cliquish. You have to deal with it. People are, are family-oriented. They're friend-oriented. So when you go to church, you're going to find people that have clusters that with their friends. That should be uh, allowed. It shouldn't be destroyed. Yeah, but you, they're not letting anybody in. Well, you know, you teach them to let people in. But you can't destroy the nature of humanity. We're tribal in nature. We've always been tribal. That's, that's what human beings are. We're family-oriented. What we should do is we should know how to be able to break in and, and become useful and become friendly. You can't expect to, to be there and have people always come to you. And I'm not just saying that about the church. I'm saying that in business too. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not outspoken. I, I'm very shy. Well, break out of that because you need relationships. In order for you to be promoted, you have to know the right people. You have to, you, you know, you, your answer is contained in another human being somewhere. The wisdom you need is contained in somebody else. So you need sometimes to break in. I remember when I first started pastoring, I had to get to know pastors. Well, guess what? There was no 311 to get to know pastors. I couldn't call 311 and say, hi, how do I get to know pastors? Frankly, they wouldn't have responded. And in the early 90s, we didn't have the Google that we have today. We didn't have the social media that we have today. So I had to go out. I had to go knock on doors. I had to go show up. Hi, I'm Pastor So-and-so. I want to get to know you better. And, you know, I found out that when you tell a person you appreciate what they have, what they know, and you'd like to uh, get to know them better, you'd like to uh, get mentored by them, most of the time they'll say, okay, set up a time, sit down and chat with you, especially if you're sincere. But sometimes we're just too, too um, ñoño. You, you know what? Well, how can I say ñoño in English? Not spoil. It's, it's a different uh, ñoño. Too weak and mealy mouth. And, and, you know, toughen up. It's not an immature because you can be mature and still be ñoño. You know what I mean? It's just that you're almost afraid. Because I know 50-year-old ñoños. When are you going to mature? When you're in the casket? Yeah, you got to toughen up. Life isn't going to give you stuff. This thing of entitlement today, it's out of order. 
You know, that's a lie. You, you can't just show up and da da da, give me everything. Uh, you know, wrong. Remember, I said I'm going to talk to you like a father today. Can I have that permission? Or are you already offended? Really, I'm going to talk to you from the heart. Because I, I, I'm concerned. We're raising a, a generation of, of ñoños. <laughs> you know, it's a Spanish word. A, a snowflakes is a term, but it's, it's more than, it's not a snowflake. It's, well, I mean, baby Hueys, right? You know, almost, it's, it's like a mentality that thinks that the world just automatically owes you. It doesn't. It doesn't owe you anything. A matter of fact, the moment you're born, you already owe your mother nine months room and board. You're already in debt. You're already in debt. Yeah, right. So here we have, here we have already the church is growing, and immediately what do you see? Problems. Among us pastors, one time, you know, I mean, not one time, but from time to time we'll just chat. And you, just, I'm going to, again, just open up a little so you can be aware of some of the things we say sometimes. Here's one of the things we say among ourselves. How do you spell member? Huh? P-R-O-B-L-E-M. <laughs> I got some laughs and a lot of people are really, oh. <laughs> No, no, it's nature. It's human nature. Wherever you have more than one person, you're always going to have a problem. Because you're going to have a disagreement. And people think that problems are bad. Problem is not a bad. Say this with me, even though it doesn't agree with you and your spirit. I like problems. I love it. Look at your faces. You're in such dissonance right now. You are in dissonance. My God, look at you. You're like, I like problems. You, we don't like problems. We think they're bad. No, problems are good. Challenges, they're good. All a problem is saying to you is that the current setting is not correct. It needs adjustment. You call it a challenge? Yeah. It is. It is a challenge. You know how you become, um, it, well, it's annoying too. It's frustrating. It's all of that. The point is, is that contained in the problem are the very answers you need because the problem is going to lead you to the solution. Yeah. Actually, people that understand this principle, they love problems because this is where they make their money. Hi, I'm here. I'll solve your problem. <laughs> What's your problem? Is it a plumbing problem? No problem. Give me a check of $2,000. I will fix your plumbing. And you don't like that person. You don't like the, pr the price. But since your basement is flooded with water... You'll pay them whatever they require. Why? Because they settle problems. Your, your, your finance, your promotion, your increase is linked to your ability to identify and solve problems. Leadership solves problems. When I learned that, I stopped blaming other people. When I speak to my supervisors, I talk to them, they say, well, why wasn't this done? I go, no problem, I'll take care of it. When I walk out of the office, I say, what in the world? How am I going to do this? All right, let me call my friends. Listen, you have this situation. I go and I find out how to solve the problem, and I solve it. I don't complain. Well, so I didn't do that. I don't know, not me. <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> I didn't do that. Most of us do that. We're always blaming other people. We never are wrong.
Good job, good job. So we've learned, we've learned. So leadership is all about solving problems. Whoever wants to be a leader and doesn't like problems, sit down. Forget about it. Enjoy the ride. Serious. When you become a leader, you're going to have to deal with issues, with problems. When you, when you become, uh, rather, when you get a promotion at work, get ready. Because they're going <laughs> to they're gonna give you $50 more or $100 more or maybe $200 more, but they're going to expect a lot more from you. No, not $200 worth of solutions, $10,000 worth of solutions. Because it's always incremental, and, and, but there's also um, an exponential demand that's put upon you. It's called the, the Peter Principle. You always rise up to the level of your incompetence. You might be great here, and since they like you, so man, this guy could do a good job, or she could do a good job. They raise you here, and you stink up here. Because you knew here, but you didn't know there. That's how come while you're here, you always have to be preparing for there. Amen. Amen. All right, so, so here we have 12 guys that are handling over 5,000 people in the community. And they realize that we can't do this. And I believe that they looked at the Old Testament and they saw that they need help and it's God's will to work with different leaders. So they said, give us seven men. But they didn't just say, give me seven guys so you can help us. No, they said, give us seven men who are of good reputation. That's New King James. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Not just anybody. And this is another thing. You want to be a leader? Develop a good reputation. Too many people worry about the promotion and they don't care about their personal life. So what they were actually saying, they were saying, pick among yourselves. Pick among yourself people that you already identify as being mature. So in other words, these guys have been serving without a title. They have been serving without any official recognition. But they love God. The Bible said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which meant they were very devoted, which meant they sought the Lord. They were either filled by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit in the upper room or in the manifestation, right, after the preaching of Peter, where many people received the Spirit of God. But make no mistake about it, these people prayed, they sought God, they loved God's Word, they loved God's people, they were already serving. So how do you choose a leader? Look around to see who's already serving with no title. I'm not interested in your desire. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. How about what are you doing now? What can God promote? What, are, what seed are you sowing? Are you active now? She understand, God can only bring promotion, advancement, acceleration to what you are already doing. Got it? So when you serve... That goes into the presence of God, whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere. That's going to your credit. When you, when you work, when you love God's word, you're developing a reputation among the people of God. When I took this job, the last job I have three, three years ago, I knew I was a newbie. That's a new word, I guess, a new term, the newbie. I ha even though I was a supervisor, I was a new guy. So all the guys I went to, some guys were already 19 years, 17 years, 15 years. I had to go there and not lead for a season. Just come in and learn what was the current pattern 
the current structure, then I started superimposing some of my thoughts and my philosophies onto it. But I first had to learn them. I had to start talking with them. I had to start sharing with them. I had to start serving them. And once they respected me, then, of course, I came into a couple of clashes with them. Yes, I did. had a very interesting clash. Because one of the guys, um, he called in sick, and I had already two guys called out sick. So third, unforgivable. And plus, I had to be off because I had to go perform a wedding ceremony for a dear friend in upstate. And he was not going to take me out of that one. Right? So I called the guy up. I says, uh, I'd like to know, and meanwhile, I'm new. So I'm there maybe one month. So I'd like to know, what is your intention for today? Are you coming in? Yes or no? Well, I called. Oh, well, two other guys called and said, you can't call and say, half an hour I give you, call me back and tell me what's your intention. Click. Yeah. And I did it on purpose. Because if you come in as a supervisor, and I know I'm talking to somebody here. Maybe you're just taking on a position, and, or, or maybe you're the one perpetrating this and you need to repent. One of the two. All right. So I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing. Just sharing. Remember, father, father, sharing. So then he called me in 20 minutes. And he says, uh, I'll, I'll come in today. He says, well, I respect you for that. Thank you very much. Don't you ever do that again. I said, no, no. Then we met in my office the other day. Big dude. Muscle. My, I mean, you look at him, you have to respect him. Big guy. <laughs> so he sat down. He says, not even my mother talks to me that way. And I went, so, well, I am. I'm your supervisor. And I have the right to speak into your life. I said, you're going to learn something about me. You're going to actually like working for me. You don't know me yet. But what you did was not acceptable. Right? Okay. So we just talked about it. And it says, but, you know, you'll get to know me. Right? Okay. Fast forward. We're having a wedding here, right here, right here, in this place. <laughs> One of our members getting married. They wanted me to perform the wedding ceremony. So I show up. I see him. The bride was somewhere. Maybe she wasn't there yet. But guess who I saw? Him, the employee, he was here. He was one of the, what do you call him? Not the best man, but one of the, the one of the groomsmen. He was one of the groomsmen. So I looked at him, he looked at me, and he says, what are you doing here? I said, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's a small world. It's such a small world. So I said, I owe you an explanation. We went to the little office I have over here and sat down. I chatted. This is why I told you, you'll get to know me. See, I help people. I don't, I don't want to hurt people. So what I was doing with you that day is I was establishing a relationship with you. Let you know I'm not going to accept unacceptable situations because I have to be a supervisor. And some people think that Christianity means that you're, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't do anything wrong. I don't hurt anybody. Anybody. I love everybody. Slap me. Go ahead and slap me. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. If I'm preaching the gospel and you slap me, I'll take it. But if I'm supervising, I'm going to supervise, be, you know, with authority because somebody's paying me a salary and I owe them righteous leadership. Oh, man, somebody can say, ouch, today. So, you know, some people misunderstand what Christianity is. One time a lady told me, you know, she abused me in the, in the job, just terribly abused me. She asked me to do a favor for her and, and I did it. She was crying and I helped her out, a resident. And then she comes around and tells her, now you better do this or I'm going to expose you. You're going to expose me for what? Well, yeah, you, 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 you got to do this. No, that's your job. That's your business. I helped you, and this is the way you talk to me? Mm -mm, not going to happen. And she says, well, where's your Christian charity? So where's my Christian charity? I could not say a word. 
That was the charity. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, you know, I, I, I talked to him and, you know, we have a great relationship now. And I've been able to mentor him. And you know what I respected of him? I respect men that when you put them in their place, they stand there and take it. They don't go, hey, how dare you? Hey, hey, hey. If you do that to me, you're a child. Don't tell, tell me your age. You're a child. Oh, you spoke to me? I want to fight. You're a child. How old are you? You're more than five years old. Stop that nonsense. Take it and grow up and be mentored properly. Amen? I'm not looking at you because you're an officer too. So what I'm saying... Remember, remember, I'm being fatherly today. Okay, don't, don't, don't get upset at me. Just understand where I'm coming from. This comes from a heart of a father. What was that? The correa, that's... No, that's not necessary. That's not necessary. That's, that, this is mentorship. This is mentorship. So what these men did is they got seven men who were filled with wisdom, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he set them over the business, prayed over, laid hands over them. Those became the first deacons. And if you read Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8 and beyond, these men, first Philip, Philip right there, he started preaching. God started using him in signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, it became so prevalent, so uh, powerful that the governors and the religious folk came at him. I mean, with all they had. Because this man became such a powerful person. Why? Because he served. He served in the house of God. He loved God. He loved God's people. God raised them up with authority. They ended up killing him, stoning him to death. But meanwhile, while they're stoning him, the heavens are opening up. He's seeing, you know, the presence of God. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. He had the same spirit that Jesus had on the cross. And he gave up the ghost. You know, he's in the presence of God. And then the other guy, a guy named Philip. Philip was another deacon. See, some people only want the position of elder because that's the only thing that, that you know, that's, that's authority. I want to be a pastor. I want to I be a leader. I don't, don't want to be in the ministry of helps. Excuse me, ministry of helps is the doorway to greatness. Yes. Yes. These men served in the house of God. Uh, the, the apostle said, you know, we can't wait on tables. We can't serve people. We can't do this anymore. We have to dedicate ourselves to prayer. So some, somebody will take that as an insult. That's not an insult. That's honor. That what they were saying is that this keeps us so busy we can't do our job. So men, come help in this. Set it up. So how do you set up daily ministry to over 5,000 people? Hello? Isn't it hard when you have family come over, coming over for Christmas? You'll have 10 people, 15 people. And forget, forget about it. By the end of, of Christmas, all your hairs are white. You need to start coloring your hair because it's, it's all gone. Right? You aged five years because 10 people showed up to your house. 15 or 20. No, some families, it's amazing. They even get shirts and they all come together. It's like 50 or 60 people. Some people have very large families. But imagine 5,000. And it said daily, which meant it's not a Monday through Friday job. It was an everyday job. Well, I only have to feed the widows only five days. I'm off Saturday and Sunday. I don't want to hear it. No, the widows have to be fed all seven days because widows eat every day. Right? Thank you. 
So this was a big job. This was huge. 5,000 plus people. How do you organize that? You have to have men of wisdom, women of wisdom. You have teams. You have to develop teams, sectors, departments. Who knows about food? Who knows about cooking? Who knows how to administrate? How many people are going to be in this sector, the north sector, the east sector, the south sector? It's a lot of people. It's a lot of work. And these men were faithful in that. God raises them up. Suddenly, later on, you see them preaching, and the glory of God is upon them. Now, let's go fast forward to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, a big persecution arises. Some say it was a Christian diaspora because there was a dispersal of Christians to all different areas from Jerusalem to Samaria and to different places of that region. But a big persecution. And, and one of them that was leading the persecution was Saul of Tarsus, who later on became Paul, who later on wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Amen. But in his old days, he was a persecutor of the church. And this man was right there when they killed Stephen. Uh, yeah, Stephen. He was right there. And the Bible says he consented to his death. So a former murderer wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which shows you that it's not us that are great. It's Almighty God that's great and loving in spite of our shortcomings. Hallelujah. So here we have Philip now in the midst of this persecution. He runs away, but he doesn't run away to hide. He goes to another region, and he starts preaching. And he starts teaching. He goes to Samaria, and suddenly God starts doing signs and wonders and miracles with him. So many miracles happen with this deacon, right? That in Jerusalem, the apostles heard of it, and they had to come and bring order because there were so many people being saved in Samaria. And isn't that cushy? Now he has, he has his, his own church there. Philip has his own church, blessed by the apostles. So now he could grow his church there and be happy for the rest of his life. No, the Spirit of God says, now, go into the desert. But, but, but God, I'm pastor here now. I've got this great church. I'm, I'm going to be taken care of. They're going to love me here. So go to the desert. Are you going to believe God and trust God and serve God? Or are you going to be into the comfort thing? Sometimes God's going to bring you out of the greatest victory right into the desert. Anybody here ever been in a desert? Well, a desert's very pivotal. The de desert's very important because the desert helps to define your faith. It helps to define your commitment. We all will go through deserts. Deserts feel tough, rough. Deserts feel depleting. Deserts are cold at night and hot during the day. You've got animals, scorpions that can bite you and, and kill you in the desert. There's not enough food in the desert. You just can't go up to a tree and take an apple and eat it. It's very hard to find provision in the midst of a desert. And God sent them to the desert. What did God tell Jesus to do before he started his earthly ministry? First thing, the Bible said the Holy Spirit led him where? The Holy Spirit led him into the desert for what? To be tempted of the devil. He had to go through everything that humanity was going to go through. He had to. It was the law. It was what he was called to do. He had to experience every trial, every temptation, every test. He had to go through the desert. And in that desert, he had a remarkable victory. But now you have Philip in the desert. And what ends up happening to Philip in Acts chapter 8? He comes and he sees a chariot 
And the Spirit of God says, go to that chariot and walk next to it. Now, Philip didn't know why he was in the desert. God just told him, go to the desert. Now, there are many times and seasons where you're going to go through things. You're going to say, what in the world am I doing here? Always see a difficult moment not as a problem, but as an opportunity to do the will of God. As an opportunity to meet somebody and minister to them. As an opportunity to maybe reconcile some issues, to, to, to self-assess, uh, maybe to heal some things within you. Quiet moments can be very, very healing. And in the desert, your friends are not going to be there. They're not going to be hanging out, so you're going to be all on your own. Yeah, well, the pastor never called me. Uh, you're probably right. In this case, there were over 5,000 people. How were the 12 apostles going to call for over 5,000 people? Was not going to happen. First and foremost, there were no Nokias, no iPhones, <laughs> right? So they had to depend on the community to shepherd the community. It's the same way today. There's a fallacy in thinking that pastors are so amazing. We're, we are ubiquitous. Okay, okay. Ubiquitous means, ubiquitous means we're all at the same place, all over the place. At the same, we're all over the place. Like, for example, in a modern-day example, um, McDonald's are ubiquitous. They're all over the place. Coca-Cola is ubiquitous. And Starbucks, yeah, is becoming ubiquitous also, right? So the word of the day, ubiquitous. Word of the day. So here we have this man. He comes up next to it. He doesn't know the next step. God's just given him the, the wisdom for the day. So he goes next to it. Then the Spirit of God says, listen to what he's reading. Here we had a man that was reading the Old Testament, and he was reading about Jesus, but he didn't know that it was about Jesus. So apparently, he's crying out to God. He doesn't know Jesus, but he had just come from worship, this man. And you have this this uh, deacon coming up, and the Spirit of God is telling him, you need to teach him. Now, a little bit about that guy in that particular chariot. This guy happened to be a high-ranking leader in the Queen uh, Candace's uh, hierarchy or, or the, I guess, the, her, her particular area of, of influence. And he was a high-ranking man with a lot of influence with the Queen. Furthermore, it says he took care of her finances. So this was an educated man. It was a man that knew a lot about finances. You know, if you're an accountant, you have to study. You have to know law. Uh, you have to be trusted because you, you're dealing with money. Um, you're powerful. I mean, the person who holds the purse strings is the most powerful person. <laughs> right, my brother? You, know, you, you kind of do something like that with us, right? You basically can tell people yes or no based on budget, right? Well, this man... He had the queen's treasury. But there was one problem. Huh? The power to pen and power to checkbook. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, he was also a eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? A person that has been castrated. A person that does not have an ability to have children. And that's on purpose because you couldn't have people around the queen, men around the queen, that could potentially be dangerous. So they would purposefully castrate these men. They would become docile, obedient. They would not have these thoughts anymore. This was taken away from them. So this man had lost his ability to have a future. He couldn't have a legacy with children, grandchildren, you know, in that sense. He, he couldn't. He was devoted to the queen. So a certain set of ability had been taken away from him, but yet he was still successful. 
yet he still had great authority? It's an, isn't it interesting? It doesn't make a difference how, how well off you are, how much money you have, uh, what's your training, what's your title. We could still be messed up. I've had the opportunity to serve millionaires for many, many years. One occasion, there was this therapist, a high-ranking therapist, a psych psychologist, or psychiatrist, one of the two. I don't know if she was a psychologist or psychiatrist, but very well-to-do. And the neighbors uh, told me, we have an emergency in that apartment. You know the psychologist next door? She's screaming. Uh, we're, we're, we're concerned. So I went up there. I knocked on the door. I'm hearing very loud music, rock music. Rock music? Psychiatrist? Doesn't jive, you know? Older lady? Knock, 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 knock. What? Ma'am, you're screaming. The neighbors are scared. What's happening? I know my rights. I can do whatever noise I want up to 10 o'clock at night. There's a certain decibel level in the city of New York, and I'm allowed. But you're screaming. Blood curdling. So I heard it myself. Who do you think you are? I manage the property. Tone it down before I have to call the police. Oh, forget about it. She wrote me up and oh, all that stuff. I mean, I'm, ah, write me up, do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> the point is, is I'm doing my job. You know, some people, they, they, it's terrible. They, they don't want to listen to any, anybody. Remember, being father today, I'm being honest with you. Okay. So what I found, that you could be very successful and still be messed up in the head. Have your personal life messed up? Well, here we had this man, successful, professional, close, really close to the queen, responsible position, a chariot. They're taking him in a chariot, all messed up. His future, no, no future for him. No legacy, didn't know, he didn't understand, but he had gone to worship. And that is beautiful because he was going the right place. He was calling out on God. He just did not know what to do. He had the Bible in his hand, but he didn't know what to do. The Old Testament. And so what does God pick up? He pick up somebody, picks up somebody that's calling out to him. The Bible says, all that call on the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed, right? So if there's somebody out there calling on the name of the Lord, you know what he's going to do? He's going to get one of those men of reputation. And in this case, men and women. He's going to get somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody's filled with the spirit of wisdom. Because these men were also filled with the spirit of wisdom. They knew how to administrate. They knew how to serve. They knew how to take care of large things, large responsibilities. This guy just finished coming out of a revival. And God sends him into the desert for what? To reach out to one soul. Thousands he leaves to minister to one soul. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Who leaves the 99 sheep just to go to the one sheep? So he shows up, and the Spirit of God tells him. So he goes up to him and says, what are you reading? He says, well, I'm reading this portion of Scripture, but I don't know what it is. Can you help me? Mm. Oh, of course I can help you. So he went, he sat down with him, he shared the gospel, and the man believed. Right? And he says, well, there's water over there. Can you baptize me now? What hinders? He says, nothing. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, yes, I do. They went, they got baptized. He, got, he baptized them, and then the man of God, Philip, he went in the water with them, and suddenly when they came up, he left right there. Philip left right away because God sent them to another assignment. 
So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is what you think is a problem is God positioning you to minister to other people. What you think is, why God are you taking me out of your comfort level, is God trusting you because you are his voice box. You are the one carrying his presence. And sometimes you come out of your greatest experiences and now you think, oh man, everything's flowing now. He'll take you out of that so you can minister to one person. Is there any glory in that? No, there was more glory in the 500 here. Why should I leave the 500? Lord, why don't you send someone else? I'm comfortable here. No, I want you to go over there. And in in these coming days, that's what God is going to do with us. He's going to put us in situations, not because he wants to give you trouble, but because he already trusts you. He's going to put you through situations that are uncomfortable, and you're going to look, you're going to see chaos, and yet you're the one that's going to bring the answer. Let me give you this, this other principle. When God wants to minister to a region, he'll always raise up a man or a woman of God when he hears the cries. The problem is, is that he will only work with those he can trust. Remember the ones that he gave the talents to? To one he gave one talent, to the one he gave two talents, to another he gave five talents. So the guy that had five talents, which meant he had great responsibility, he had the most responsibility and knowledge and understanding, so the owner gave him five talents. That's a lot of money because the talent of gold is like over $100,000. So it's a lot. It's a big chunk of gold. So... The guy brought him back 10 talents when the Lord came back. He's a good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. But the guy that had two multiplied it to four. He said the same exact thing to him than he said to the guy who had 10 talents. He's entering to the joy of the Lord. The guy that had one, he was afraid. He's a wicked and lazy servant, right? Then he said this, the one that has one talent, take it from him, give it to the one that has 10 talents. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not getting this. This guy's very busy. He already has 10 talents. He had five talents before. He was very busy, but now he has 10 talents. And you're going to give him an 11 talent? Meanwhile, this poor guy that only has one talent, you're going to take it away from him? Come on. Is that fair? Are we being fair here? I sounded like Trump. Did you not know Trump is absolutely unique? When they made Trump, they broke the mold. No, no, think about it. Is that fair? Today's society would say it's unfair. Today, many in society would say, no, there should be equality. Fact, you're never going to see equality. The one that can outperform will always make more than the one that's lazy. I don't care. You could give me $15, $30, $45. The truth is that you will see it in their performance. And it is a mistake to give people something if they haven't earned it. Because if you give it to them, they feel entitled. They will waste and squander the money you give them or the position you give them. Whereas if you get a person that works it, they will earn it. They will be appreciative and honorable, and they will keep the position. That is the truth. I learned something as a father, and I even regret it to this day. And that is when I was being raised, already at age 12, I was working. I was making $2 on a Saturday working for a bookie. And those $2, I appreciated them because dad wouldn't give me a cent. That's right, man. I wanted to buy my, my, you know, my little candy and stuff like that. By age 14, I was working. 15, I was working. 16, I was working. By 18, I, I was already a man. In a young man's body, I was already mature. Fell in love, got married at 19. 
But I was mature already. My wife and I both mature. And, and we raised our kids. We never dishonored them. We took care of them. We acted like older folk. We used to walk around with three kids. But the double stroller here and then Natalie in the back. We walking around. People would look at us. And we're going, what? <laughs> we were mature at a very young age. We had a lot of responsibility at a young age. But you know why? We grew up early. We accepted responsibility early. Our generation, me and many that I know, because I spoke to a lot of in my generation, we kept our kids younger, longer. What do I mean by that? We didn't give them any responsibility. Let them enjoy the youth. Big mistake. Put them to work. Make them wash dishes. Make them mop the floor. Make them keep their room clean. Make them make their bed from early on. They'll grow up and they'll be mature. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to raise up entitled, spoiled little sissy kids. Sorry, that was like, uh, I had to, uh, uh, uh. so here's the principle in that. God himself will not give a talent to a lazy man. And if God, who is always right, why do we think we know more than God? And expect something we won't work for. Expect something we will not travail for. Amen. Push through. Amen. Work it way through. Like the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to make my way. I'm going to get my answer. I don't care what happens. I'm going to make my way. I'm going to press through until I get the answer. Well, these, these men, God used them greatly. But they pushed through. They proved themselves in the midst of the congregation. They worked when nobody was seen. They were patient. They didn't try to push themselves up. God opened the door for them. They were just ready. They were presented. If there was an opportunity, I, I could do it. No problem. Boom, boom, boom. And then they go back to their place. But God was looking all along. Now, having said that, we need to understand that in this society, you have to share what you're good at. That's not a bad thing. When I go to work, you know, in the, in the place I work at, I had to present a resume. The resume showed I worked in this building, I studied this, I have a doctorate, I do that, the other. I wasn't showing off. I was just sharing what I can do. When they asked me, why should you work for us? So what are you talking about? I said, you need me here. But that's how I speak in, uh, by the way. You need me here. What do you mean? So, I'm, I'm going to solve your problems. I'm not going to take excuses. This will work. The, the, the staff, they're going to learn how to honor this organization. Oh, I, I talk to them with total, absolute confidence. Because that's what they're looking for. They don't want somebody they're going to pay $100,000, $200,000 to. And, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Please help me, help me. No. No, we're going to get this done. You, you understand? So it's not that you're showing off. You're telling people what you're capable of doing. But watch this. When you get into a position, then you better do it. <laughs> it's easier to get in than to maintain. Somebody needs to tweet that. <laughs> really. It's easier to get in than to maintain. But once you're in, you do your best. And if you don't know, you learn. You don't make excuses. These men were able, they were the, the five and ten talent people where God said, give more responsibility to them. So question, 
has God taken away your responsibility because you're not doing anything? Or are you the one that's working it and working it and multiplying? They have, nobody's realizing it, but, but there's going to come a season. There's coming a, say with me, there's coming a season. Amen. This is the ones that you need to be. In this season, God is looking for men and women that help in a growing community. For men and women that are poised to be able to serve at any level. And if they don't understand, they're willing to learn, they're willing to grow. Remember I told you in the beginning about the fixed mindset? You need to get rid of your fixed mindset. Because the mindset says you can only get to a certain level. The mindset says you can only do up to a certain degree. That's all a lie. None of that is true. You are flexible. Your brain is flexible. Your brain is amazing. It continues to grow. Right now, right now, your brain is actually making new neural connections to remember this conversation that I had with you today. Yesterday, you didn't remember it because your brain didn't have it. But today, you will remember this because now your brain has it. And if you meditate on it, and what I'm sharing with you, you listen to it again, we always put it on the website, uh, what will happen is it will become permanent memory for you. And it will actually adjust the way you look at life. You're always able to shift yourself. Well, I'm afraid of this. Well, stop being afraid. Well, I can't just automate. Yeah, God told Joshua, do not fear. You can shift from fear. And even in the midst of fear, remember Gideon, in the midst of fear, you can still do stuff because you understand where the fear comes from. It's an echo of something that happened in the past. It's not real. Fear is F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. But it's not real. It's only an echo. Want, want me to say that again? False evidence appearing real. Amen. So you have to move in spite of your fear because your fear is not your friend. It's your enemy. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. So my, my sound mind, guided by the Holy Spirit and by his word, will overcome the fear and the hesitance and the reticence that I have to move forward. I know that it's more important for me to move forward in, sp in spite of the feeling that I might have, the fear I might have. And I'm not denying it that I have it. What I'm saying is that it no longer works for me. It's an echo. So I'm going to move forward even if I feel the trepidation. Actually, if you feel trepidation, Make that a good thing. Man, I'm nervous. Whew, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited about it. How many of you get nervous and you, you get like afraid, so you push away? Some of you, I put you to speak. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And some of you, you tell me you, don't, you can't even sleep at night, the night before. I said, just go up there and be yourself. Just learn. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Superman. I've been through this before. I remember when I first started, my first radio program that I went to, I remember going to that radio program, and I got so scared that when I sat down, this big boom mic in front of me, and two other pastors to the right and to the left, I look at them, I said, I know this guy, he has a mega church. This guy, he's, he's like a superman. And I remember when we started the show, it was a live show, and people had to call in to ask questions, and we had to answer them. The first question is the only question I remember. Because I was so afraid, I didn't remember the next two hours of what happened. Some of you were listening, and you say, yeah, you did okay. He says, I don't know if I did okay, because I don't remember. It was so frightful to me that my brain literally gave me, what do you call that again when you don't remember? Amnesia. Selective, specific amnesia about that particular experience. To this day, I don't remember. That was my coping mechanism. Yeah.
Well, I, you know, come on, you can give it to me now. Come on, stop coping anymore. Give it to me. I want to remember. It's in there. It, it's in there. It's like Prego. It's in there. But I went in there anyway. I did it. But I learned something because when I left there, I said, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. Please don't, don't shut down the invitations. And that's what happened. For six months, I got no invitations. For six months, nobody called me. And then I read, I read a book about uh, overcoming fear or something like that, the John Bevere book. And I'm reading it, and it's talking about my experience. He himself went through an experience of fear where he was prophesying to the congregation because he's a prophet. He's prophesying. Suddenly he turns around to the worship team and says, there's sin in the camp. Something you guys, you guys need to excise right away and stop it. Then he kept on. At the end of the service, pastor came up to him and said, don't you ever do that again to my worship team. And so he got afraid. And so the word of the Lord stopped coming to him. So after a couple of weeks, he said, God, he's fasting, he's praying. Why? Why am I not hearing you? And then God speaks to him after a couple of weeks and says, it's because you allowed yourself to get knocked out of your position of authority when you allowed fear to enter your heart. And then as I'm reading that, the Spirit of God tells me, and it's the same thing that happened to you on that day. You allowed your position of authority to, or rather you allowed yourself to get knocked out of your position of authority. And so this man had to repent before God. He said, God, forgive me. I repent. Whatever you say, I will do. I will say, right. So I did the same thing. God, forgive me. I don't care how I sound. I don't care if I make a mistake. I don't care about my accent. What, wherever you send me, I will go. And I will share it my way, the way you made me, right? And immediately, immediately the um, appointments and uh, promotions and all that other stuff, I started working with Promise Keepers. I mean, so many things opened up for me. I traveled literally all over the world. It was amazing, but I had to break that spirit of fear. I had to break that limit. And you are one breaking away of that limit to your, your success, to your next promotion, to, to the next place of your authority. You're one step away, you just have one barrier that you have to allow God to cut out right now, today. God is going to do that today. Amen. This unusual fathering message was for you today. And whoever's listening right now on the internet, it's also for you. God has a season for you right now. He wants to take you deeper. He wants to take you higher. He wants to bring you to that place of influence, that place of ministry where you can touch thousands. You've ministered with the two. You've ministered with the five. Now he wants to give you ten. And also, for the other lazy folk who refuse to do anything, God wants to give you their responsibility too. Wow. Wow. Are you ready today? What are you, you going to say? Oh, I'm not ready. Or are you going to say, here, God, am I? Use me. <laughs> 